More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We've decided that we're going to do something on a more regular basis for you because we need you to know what's happening at the White House. My producer Diaz and I are going to dedicate ourselves to giving you the update of what the White House press secretary says each and every day that we can get our hands on the tapes, because there's a lot that they talk about. The White House press secretary is just killing it. She's doing an amazing job. Jen is just unbelievable. And so before we get into the news of the day that we're now attacking the military members who might have voted for Donald Trump or Bank of America actually uh, giving over your financial information if you were in and around D.C. to the FBI, which quite possibly could break the law, but they did it anyway because the FBI requests it so they can investigate you. Before we get into those stories, I really do believe it's important that you know what the White House had to say. And I want you to imagine if the former White House press secretaries, Sarah Huckabee Sanders or Kelly McEnany, did this every day, like every day, this is how they responded to questions. So here is our our mini montage of the White House press briefing today. Take notes, because you're going to learn a lot. I'll have to talk to our uh, national security team about that. I, I don't think I can get ahead of the president or, frankly, the secretary of state. Uh, there's a new secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. We're not going to get ahead of his decision-making process. I don't have anything to preview for you in terms of specific actions. Uh, I haven't seen another update from them on a, an additional step, but I will see if there are any updates to report back to them. I will see if there's an update on that particular pipeline. I, I don't think we have any update on that particular question. I don't have any uh, scheduling updates for you at this point in time. I don't have a date for you on uh, when there would be a proposal yeah there you go that's it folks you're welcome that is your update from the white house today all of that that you just heard was from one press conference i want to make that clear that's not like a piece together her wearing different outfits some was on monday and some was on wednesday some was on Thursday. no no that was just one day 
Did she answer a question about anything? We're not sure. We're still trying to find an answer to a question that doesn't sound like this. I have to talk to our uh, national security team about that. I, I don't think I can get ahead of the president or, frankly, the secretary of state. Uh, there's a new secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. We're not going to get ahead of his decision-making process. I don't have anything to preview for you in terms of specific actions. Uh, I haven't seen another update from them on a, an additional step, but I will see if there are any updates to report back to them. I will see if there's an update on that particular pipeline. I don't think we have any update on that particular question. I don't have any uh, scheduling updates for you at this point. But by the way, I, I do have to just point out something kind of obvious here. You know that now the White House is demanding that the reporters give their questions to them before the press briefing. So this is in front of them already knowing what the questions actually are. This is how bad they are at, at the White House press briefings. Or maybe it's not that they're bad at it. Maybe they just don't want you to know what the hell they're doing on anything because then it's easier to get it done. This could be purposely done. I don't think that Jen, who, who, who full disclosure, I worked with at CNN, and we've, we, we've talked uh, on, on the phone, offline, multiple times. I, I think she's smarter than this. I don't think she's this bad of a press secretary. I think this is being done deliberately on purpose because if you don't answer any questions, is there any news to report? If you don't have to answer questions and you don't give anything to any of the stories that the reporters are trying to ask you about, then can you go out there and actually get done whatever it is you want to get done without having to answer a question before we even know what happened? The answer is yeah. I don't think Jen's as bad of a press secretary. I think this is an actually a deliberate decision by this White House to never answer a question about anything. This point in time. I don't have a date for you on uh, when there would be a proposal. Now, th this is all, remember, all of your questions you're supposed to be giving to them in advance now. And this is still how they're answering those questions. Welcome to your White House. This is th this is a woman that we're paying like, what, $200,000 a year? two hundred grand a year. $200,000 a year to do what you just heard there. This, this is it, folks. This is, this is what your dollars are going for. Now, let's get on to this other big story. The National Guard uh, protection at the U.S. Capitol has now cost nearly a half a billion dollars. And something that should concern you about this is the fact that there is no credible threat now to Washington to the Capitol. We've been told that now over and over again. Nevertheless, Democrats are keeping the military and a militarized zone around the United States Capitol. It has cost nearly a half a billion dollars to deploy the 26,000 National Guard troops to, quote, secure the U.S. Capitol. There's no indication that we need them anymore. There's no threats that would say we need them anymore there. Now, this cost includes transporting troops to Washington, D.C. and their salaries and their benefits. The cost of deploying this 27,000, 26,000 National Guard troops to secure the Capitol in the wake of the uh, January the 6th riot, nearly a half billion dollars. Now, the deployment brought troops in from all 50 states and four territories as law enforcement agencies tried to lock down the Capitol for the inauguration of President Joe Biden. That's already happened. It's over. Thousands of Guard members poured into the nation's Capitol, were stationed across the city to block traffic and protect lawmakers and landmarks, you know, the drill. So now, a half a billion dollars later, getting all these troops there, the question now becomes, why are they still there? Why? The troops were activated by the federal government more than 30 days ago. Why are they still there? The National Guard last week mandated that troops who were activated would be allowed to use their active duty time 
for post-9-11 GI Bill education benefits as well. The educational benefits of National Guard soldiers and airmen are based on a percentage of how much active duty time they serve. So they're going to get more benefits from this, which is going to cost us more money. The National Guard troops are also mobilized to provide security in their respective state capitals. A thousand California National Guard troops were deployed to protect the capital in Sacramento. That costs about $3.5 million. Officials say the money is expected to cover the cost of guard through mid-March when the troops are expected to leave. Now, they also say between 5,000 and 7,000 troops are scheduled to stay in Washington through March the 14th. Why? There's no threat right now that we have. And we also know that clearly they've got their act together with the normal police protection around the Capitol after what happened. But there's no direct credible threat. It's generic. So what what's going on here? Okay, well, maybe we can connect the dots for you. While we're wasting a half a billion dollars with no threats to Washington, all because we have a militarized zone and we're locking everything down, the defense secretary has also come out and ordered a 60-day stand-down to confront extremism within the military, something we mentioned yesterday on the show. The Defense Secretary, Lord Austin, has called on the services to conduct a 60-day stand-down on the issue of extremism in the military. He says it's prompted by the January the 6th attack on the Capitol and subsequent reports of both active duty and former service members attending a rally calling to overturn the 2020 election and riots that ensued. Austin has held a meeting, or Austin, I should say, held a meeting this week of the service secretaries and joint chiefs. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby confirmed to reporters to ask them about their concerns and ideas of improving the situation. Even though the numbers might be small, they said, they may not be as small as we like them to be or we believe them to be. That's what the defense secretary said on the prevalence of troops with extremist views, ties to these types of extremist activities. And no matter what it is, it is not an insignificant problem. Now, we still don't know what these views actually are because no one will tell us. So, like, what are the extremist views? Right. What, what are these extremist views? Can anyone explain to me what they are besides labeling people that are conservatives as being extremists or those that support Donald Trump is now being extremists? We're, we're actually going into like a shutdown because of this. A shutdown. We're doing it. We're. 60 days here, folks. We're doing a stand-down order to confront extremism in the military, but no one will tell us what the extremism actually is. A vetting of the troops. I would call this not a vetting of the troops. I would actually call it an indictment of the troops, to be honest with you. This sounds exactly like an indictment of the troops. You're going through and you're seeing who's around, who it is that you can screw over. Who it is that shouldn't get a raise? Who is it that shouldn't get a new promotion? Because they might disagree with you politically. Now, the guidance is forthcoming on what Austin expects to see after the 60-day period. Kirby said of Austin's direction to the service secretaries and joint chiefs, quote, he was very clear that he wants commands to take the necessary time. And I didn't hear him be overly Prescriptive about that, to speak with troops about the scope of this problem and certainly to get a sense from them about what they're seeing at their level. Hold on a second. Did the defense secretary just 
basically tell people in the military to start narking on their fellow man and woman in uniform, turning in the conservatives, turning in the Trump supporters, turning in the Second Amendment guys? Sounds like it. The Defense Department does not centrally track troops who have been investigated for domestic terrorism or extremism sentiment. Time out. Is what is the definition of extremist sentiment? Because I want to go back in time to Major Nadal Hassan. I want to go back to Fort Hood. I want to go back to the other terrorist attacks that we've actually had on military bases over the last decade. When we came out on this show and raised the question about Muslim extremism within the military, we were immediately attacked as being anti-Islamic. Islamophobia is how they put it. Because you're not allowed to ask that question, even though someone's actually shooting and killing American men and women in uniform while yelling Allah Akbar. I can't bring that up without someone accusing me of being uh, Islamophobic. Did they do anything like this during that time? No. Right? No. Think about that. We had no investigation. We had no intense investigation. I want to make that very, very clear. Okay? We did not do a deep dive into the military. We didn't do a 60-day stand-down order in the military. Okay? That's something we did not do. No one did that. You couldn't ask questions even after there was a second attack, even after there was a third attack. You couldn't do a deep dive into the military and shut everything down for 60 days to look and see, hey, is there extremism in the military? Is there Islamic extremists in our U.S. military that have infiltrated our U.S. military? Not allowed to ask that question, folks. You can't go there because that's politically incorrect. Fast forward to now where we are and the defense secretary and the Department of Defense is saying we've got to look at these troops and find out are there domestic terrorists within the United States ranks and is there extremist sentiment? I have to go back to the extremist sentiment. What is the definition of being an extremist now in the name, uh, in the eyes of the military? What it seems to be pretty clearly, what they seem to be implying is that for you to be considered an extremist is if you're a guy that posts Donald Trump is my president or MAGA or make America great again or anything related to any of that seems to be enough to then label you as an extremist in the military. So for the next 60 days, the military is asking other military members to basically turn on you and turn people in. That, that's what they seem to be advocating for here. Turn them in. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, turn them in. Tell us about your friends that scare you. Tell us about your friends in the military that you think might have been radicalized by Donald Trump, because now that's a new terror, a form of terrorism, domestic terrorism. I'm not kidding. This is what they're doing for the next 60 days. And it certainly could be extended beyond that. There's no indication, by the way, that this will stop. This harassment. Now, if you're really looking at extremism, 
then shouldn't they be looking at all extremism, Muslim extremism, uh, Black Lives Matter extremism, Antifa extremism? Because that's not on the list, folks. None of what I just mentioned to you is on the list. Think about that. The only extremism they're looking into is conservative extremism, meaning you're Republican. I would actually feel better about this if they said we're going to do it all. Right? We're going to do all of this. We're going to look at all extremism. We're not just going to look at conservative extremism, if that's even a thing. We're going to look at all extremism. That, that's, that's what should be brought up here. You want to look at Antifa extremism? I would argue that that's a big threat to this country. You want to look at Muslim extremism? I think that's also something we've seen to be deadly within our military, on our military bases over the last decade. And more than just on one occasion. So I'm not, it's not just like a one-off here. You want to do a deep dive into the political threats and views. Okay, then let's do it. Like, let's really go all in on this. Let's actually, let, let, let's, let's take a pause and let's vet everyone for everything, not just one side of the aisle. Because that's the only thing they're doing right now. Do you have any idea how many extremists could be in the military that have posted things about Antifa or Black Lives Matter? How is that not on the list if supporting Donald Trump is now on the list to root out extremism? Pentagon told reporters that the FBI opened 143 investigations into troops and veterans in 2020. 68 of those were for domestic extremism. What does that mean? No one can answer that question. The 68 of those for domestic extremism, I want to know how many of those are Muslim extremism. Can, and they won't tell you that, right? The DOD, by the way, also, they do have a 2012 instruction that prohibits extremist activities, though it doesn't clearly define extremism itself. So maybe you guys should start with that at the military, at least defining so that we're not having to guess what the definition of extremist activities is. Because it sounds like what you're saying is that an extremist activity would actually be, would have been supporting Donald Trump. The commander-in-chief of our military, if you supported him while in the military, it seems to be they're now saying that that is the definition of extremism. Yeah, that should scare the hell out of every one of you listening. They don't define it. Generally, the service handles these investigations, they say, at a unit level or with the FBI if it comes to plans for attacks, for instance. And there is no requirement to report those up to service headquarters. I wonder how many Muslim extremists we've had in the military that we buried those stories because it doesn't fit the political narrative of the day. The Military Times, which is the military, uh, basically, news service, newspaper, however you want to put it, Their own polling has shown that, anecdotally, more than one-third of active-duty troops and more than half of minority service members have witnessed signs, they say, of white supremacy in their colleagues. Further, survey respondents ranked white nationalism as a bigger national security threat than domestic terrorist groups affiliated with Islam, for instance. So the White House and the Pentagon are now saying the events of January the 11th served as a wake-up call for the Department of Defense. 
So we got two-month window that will allow, they say, time for units to strategize and schedule how they'll stand down rather than declaring a specific day for everyone to do the same work. We owe the force, we owe these leaders some training material, some deeper, more specific guidance about what the expectations are for the stand down and some thoughts about how feedback can we can provide, they've went on to say. So we got 60 days of a stand down. Cool. And we're going to find every conservative and we're going to label them in the military and we're going to make sure that everybody knows who they are. That's what this seems to be about. It's not just the military, by the way. Bank of America, they're also in on it, too. Fox News host Tucker Carlson reported exclusively on his show that Bank of America is allegedly turning over private information about its customers to federal law enforcement officials without the knowledge or consent of any of the customers involved. All this under the name of an apparent effort to identify those who may have participated in the January the 6th riots at the U.S. Capitol. All this being done without a warrant. Carlson led off the segment by talking about how the Biden administration and law enforcement has stated that they want to go after, quote, domestic extremists, but have not laid out a clear definition of even what qualifies anyone as an extremist. Sounds a lot like what they're doing in the military, doesn't it? It's almost like they took this same mantra and said, apply it anywhere you want to. Because as long as you make up a paranoid reason, you can justify your means. Sounds a lot like what they've been doing with COVID-19 lockdowns. In fact, I'm starting to see a trend here. And if you're not, you're not paying attention. It's what I've warned you about. Same thing with the CDC now becoming like a military force. The same thing with the Department of Homeland Security saying that TSA agents can basically now arrest you, kick you off planes with all these mass mandate rules and all these new laws that were made, even though no one, not a single person even voted on any of the laws. So now it's going into the banking world because we can get away with it, right? Why not, right? So what exactly are they doing is the question that we should be asking. How are they hunting these extremists they keep telling us about, but they will not describe to us because they need to keep it broad so they can do whatever the hell they want. Take a listen to this exclusive information that Tucker Carlson got on Bank of America literally assisting the FBI on the Capitol riot probe without the customers knowing anything about it, treating their customers like they could be a possible member of Al-Qaeda. Have you noticed? None of these newly energized and highly empowered extremist hunters have told us exactly what an extremist is. So we're left to guess. We're left to look around nervously to see if we can spot one, hoping against hope the whole time they're not talking about us, are they? And if they are, what exactly are they doing? How are they hunting these extremists they keep telling us about but will not describe? We now know part of the answer to that question. This show has obtained exclusively evidence that Bank of America, the second largest bank in the country with more than 60 million customers, is actively but secretly engaged in the hunt for extremists in cooperation with the government. Bank of America is, without the knowledge or the consent of its customers, sharing private information with federal law enforcement agencies. Bank of America effectively is acting as an intelligence agency, 
but they're not telling you about it. In the days after the January 6th riot at the Capitol, Bank of America went through its own customers' financial and transaction records, a lot of them. Now, these were the private records of Americans who had committed no crime, people who, as far as we know, had absolutely nothing to do with what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. But at the request of federal investigators, Bank of America searched its databases looking for people who fit a specific profile. Here's what that profile was, and we are quoting. Customers confirmed as transacting, either through bank account, debit card, or credit card, purchases in Washington, D.C., between January 5th and January 6th. Number two, purchases made for hotels, Airbnb, RSVPs, in Washington, Virginia, or Maryland after January 6th. Number three, any purchase of weapons or at a weapons-related merchant between January 7th and their upcoming suspected stay in the D.C. area around Inauguration Day. And four, airline-related purchases sixth, sixth, since January 6th, end quote. So what do you notice about that profile? Well, the first thing you notice is that it's remarkably broad. Any purchases of anything in the city of Washington, D.C., any overnight stay anywhere in the three-state area, that spans hundreds of miles, any purchase, not simply of legal firearms, but instead anything bought from a, quote, weapons-related merchant, T-shirts included. And then any airline-related purchases, not just flights to Washington, flights to anywhere, to Omaha, to Thailand. That is a very, very wide net, an absurdly wide net. Bank of America identified a total of 211 customers who met these, quote, thresholds of interest. And it was at that point, the show has learned, Bank of America turned over the results of its internal scan to federal authorities, apparently without notifying the customers who were being spied upon. Federal investigators then interviewed at least one of these unsuspecting people. And that person, we've learned, hadn't done anything wrong and in the end was cleared. Imagine if you were that person. The FBI hauls you in for questioning in a terror investigation, not because you've done anything suspicious, you haven't, you bought plane tickets and visited your country's capital. You thought you could do that. You thought it was your country. Now they're sweating you because your bank, which you trust with your most private information, information of everything you buy, has ratted you out to the feds without telling you, without your knowledge. Because Bank of America did that, you are being treated like a member of Al-Qaeda. What country is this? It doesn't matter how much you despise Donald Trump or how much you believe that hatred of Trump justifies suspending this country's ancient civil liberties. Going through that experience would scare the hell out of you. Absolutely. A terror suspect, you would think? Does anyone else know about this? Is there a record of this interview while I lose my job because of it? That actually happened to someone. It's hard to believe it, but it did. We asked Bank of America about this. They confirmed it actually happened by not denying it. Here's their statement in full, which manages to make the whole thing even creepier, assuming that's possible. Quote, we don't comment on our communications with law enforcement. Well, apparently not. All banks, it continues, have responsibilities under federal law to cooperate with law enforcement inquiries in full compliance with the law. End quote. Now, the last part from a lawyer's perspective is the essence in full compliance with the law. It's the law. We had no choice. But that's not true. Bank of America did have a choice. 
The bank could have resisted turning over information on its innocent customers to federal investigators, but Bank of America did not do that. Nor is it clear, if we're going to be precise about it, that what Bank of America did is even legal. It turns out it's not simple. It's a gray area. We spoke to a number of lawyers about this today. Some of them told us that what Bank of America did might in fact not be legal and could in fact be challenged in court. So the point that Carlson is making here is you have a bank, one of the largest banks in America, the second largest bank in the country, in fact, with more than 60 million customers who is actively but secretly engaging in the hunt for what they refer to as conservative extremists in cooperation with the United States government. Bank of America is doing this without the knowledge, without the consent of its customers. They're sharing your private information with the federal law enforcement agencies because they want to root out their definition of extremism, which is supporting Donald Trump. Bank of America and what they're actually doing is they're becoming an intelligence gathering agency for the intelligence gathering agencies of the government. And they're not telling you about it. They're looking at your purchases and profiling your purchases. They're looking at your movements in the country and profiling those movements. They're looking at where you eat, where you stay, where you rented, what you were doing, where you swiped your card, where you got money out of an ATM. And they're building an intelligence agency within Bank of America to then spy on you and what it is that you are doing. And they're not telling you about it. In the days after January the 6th riot at the Capitol, what Bank of America said is, we're going to go through all of our customers' financials and transaction records for anywhere in the area. Your private records. Your private records on you. You've committed no crime. As far as we know, you're just an American using your debit card. You could have had absolutely nothing to do with what happened at the Capitol on January the 6th, and the majority of the 60 million customers didn't. But nevertheless, they said, please, yes, we would love to help you, government. Federal investigators will happily become an intelligence agency on your behalf of our customers. We're going to search it. We're going to search our customers, our databases. We're going to look for people that, 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 that fit these specific profiles that are incredibly broad. Again, look at what they asked for. They combed through your bank accounts, your debit cards, your credit card purchases. If you were in around Washington, D.C. on the 5th or the 6th of January. Any purchases put you on their intelligence list, their watch list, if you stayed at a hotel in Airbnb in Washington, Virginia, or Maryland on or after January the 6th. Any purchases of weapons, immediately they alerted the FBI to that, even though there was no firearms used at the Capitol by any of the people that were there. And or weapons-related merchandise between January the 7th and the upcoming suspected stay in the D.C. area around the inauguration day. And of course, if you traveled on an airline and you purchased a ticket since January the 6th, bam, you're on the intelligence surveillance 
list of Bank of America, who then turns over that list to the federal government without your notice. You've been profiled. If you still continue to bank at Bank of America after this, that's on you. I'm just here to let you know this is what they're doing. And I'll leave it at that. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 